Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for... Oh, God, where to even start? You've blessed us so richly, and we didn't deserve any of it. God, you sent your Son to take a punishment that was ours, rightfully ours. You adopted us into your family. And if that was all you ever did for us, God, we would still be so much better off than we deserved. But the funny thing about fathers and their children is as our Heavenly Father, you see fit to bless us because you love us, not because we deserve it. Wow. God, how our lives would look different without you. You hold all things together in your hand and nothing which we receive does not first come from your hand. God, I pray that as we open your word this morning that you would make clear to us what it means to be part of your family. And for those of us that are part of your family and we know that we are, God, I pray that you would give us the strength to to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Do I need to move this over here? I don't know if it'll help because sometimes I mumble stuff, but... Said Orin, mumbling. All right. I'm going to fidget with this once, and then I'm not going to mess with it anymore. Okay, that's it. And then I'm going to walk away from it so it won't do anything. All right, turn your Bibles with me to uh, the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to make a distinct effort not to carry my coffee cup around all morning and not drink from it. So I'm going to set it on this thing that will probably uh, fall off of and spill. And only pick it up to drink from it. Okay. Um, First John chapter three. Uh, first, I want to let's think of something. Are any of you in this room married or have been married? Um, so, those of you that raised your hand to have experienced what it is like to blend two families together. That, that is, that is not, you know, maybe it was because you, you had kids and, and your spouse had kids and you got together and then that was like a, a, you know, okay, now how do we make this work? Maybe it's that, but even, even if it's not that, um, I grew up in one family and my wife grew up in a distinctly different family. That's sort of important, uh, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's important that your wife be from a different family. Um, but... <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it was funny. Um, a couple weeks ago, my, my parents were down to visit, and, uh, and we had a, had a birthday party for Riley. And my kids were so weirded out that both of their sets of grandparents were in the same place. Now, like, if you, if you live in a place where, like, all your family's close by, that's not a weird thing. But, like, you know, Kara's parents have lived in northern Vermont for most of our marriage, and we lived either in Ohio or then down here in Florida for most of our marriage. And so... The um, the times that all the grandparents would be together in one place were very few and far between, and so for our kids that was like real weird. And um, they were like, "Won't that be?" 
But anyway, I, I say that to illustrate, our, like, our families are different. And I could literally spend the entire, uh, looks like 33 minutes that I have left um, talking about the differences between our, our two families. Um, but I'll, I'll only say this, okay? My family is extremely practical. And the Ricker family is extremely sentimental. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and both of those are good things. Um, but but, the, but the, the differences are, it's, 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 it's distinct. And, and where it's really distinct is in my marriage with Kara, our marriage. You know what? It's both of our marriage, actually, now as I think of it. <laughs> Because since I was raised in a very practical family and my wife was raised in a very sentimental family, it's, um, you know, caused some conflict sometimes over the, over the years. And, you know, the times like, well, why, why would we, like, why would we drive halfway to, into Western New York to, like, anyway, like, oh man, the dri- driving halfway across the country, there are times like the wit, the wit side, you know, particularly me is like, doesn't make any sense. And, you know, the, my wife's side and, you know, Kara is like, yeah, but I want to see my family. And now I live half the country away from my family and I, I get it a little more. Um, I'm having to, having to um, taste some of that medicine. Um, my, my point is that the, the way that we act and the way that we think about things makes it very clear which family we're from. Right? Okay, that was the purpose of the whole illustration. Um, and I'll leave it there before I muddy the water any, clear, any further. Um, but First John chapter 3, we're going to read the chapter here, but he's going to talk about two families. Two families that you can be a part of. And so let's pick it up actually in, in chapter 2, verse 28, because that kind of starts the, starts the thought here. He says, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. At his coming, I want to be. I want to be clear. The apostle John, John the Beloved, is writing this letter to um, the the intended audience. Is primarily um, it's it's written to churches. It is written um, in the context of like that the audience would are probably believers, or at least they think they are. That and that's important. Okay, pick it back up. Um, verse twenty nine. You know that he is righteous. Talking of God, he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, if we, we are God's children now, And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Little sidebar, seeing God as he is will change you, will change us. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, 
Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of Man, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, we could preach a whole series on that section, but we only got six weeks to go through all of 1 John, so we're going to keep going. All right, the rest of the chapter, uh, starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because, he, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to I pray again. Um, I, I meant to mention this. Uh, you may or may not have seen in the news, uh, the, uh, one of the, the Baptist church in Bartow, not First Baptist, but the other one, um, got burnt down last Sunday. Um, you know, their meeting, actually, turns out, turns out the pastor was, uh, was Reagan's soccer coach. Addie's or Addie's basketball coach. Sorry. Um, and um, anyway, I just want to I just want to lift up that. What was the name of the church? Adam and Laura. Yeah. No, nobody was hurt, and uh, they're able to meet in their uh, kind of smoky fellowship hall. Um, but uh, it's really sad. Uh, it turns out it, it was somebody the church had helped out before. They they knew the person and someone right there that lived next door and. Um, our heart just goes out to them because we're on the same mission to invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus and, and, and let God handle the rest. And God's in control, but let's, let's just pray for them. Heavenly Father, we just want to lift up before you the, um, the church family. 
of the church in Bartow. And God, what a, what, a, what a painful thing. Certainly not as painful as the loss of life, um, but certainly, certainly difficult. To have someone that, that they had shown your love to um, respond in that way. God, we pray for everyone involved. We pray for that church. We pray for the, the community. We pray for um, even the, the, the woman that did this. God, that your love would, would be shown to her in a huge way, in an overwhelming way through this. God, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what that feels like. Betrayal it must feel like betrayal or like are we even doing the right thing here? Are we on the right track? Are we? God, I just pray that you would encourage their hearts, encourage that pastor and his family. Thank you for a community that rallies around our churches. We just pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> All right, back to First John. Chap- chapter 3, he, he, he talks about the two different families that you can be a part of. You're either um, children of the devil or children of God. Now, we were all made in God's image, and yet we were born into sin ever since, um, ever since Adam. Um, sin and death have passed down to all of us. And so, and so we are born into sin. This is important because all of us, all of us, even those sweet little kids there, all have sinned. Worse than have sinned, all, our, all of us are sinners. It's not just a problem with our actions, it's a problem with our, with our identity. It's a problem with the family we are a part of. We are born into sin and we are, we, we are basically, you know, like, like he says here, children of the devil. Like that's, that I never thought I'd say from the pulpit, but it's in the word of God, so I'm going to say it. Because that, like, that sounds like hyperbole. That sounds like overstating the point, like, all right, come on, you're really, really hitting it hard there. But, but the reality is there are two families. You can think of it this way. They're not even close to being equal in power. Let's be real clear about that. We have the whole book, and if you read it all the way to the end, it's pretty clear which family um, is more powerful. Um, but there are some difficult things in that, that John says in this passage that makes us feel like... It may make you feel like, well, okay, so if I, if I ever, like, I claim to be a Christian, but then if I ever sin, then this sounds like it's saying that, well, I guess, I guess I'm not. Or that, like, anybody who does good things is saved. Maybe you weren't thinking that, and now you're thinking, wow, there's lots of problems with this passage. Um, well, congratulations. Now you're, you're right here with me, and, uh, and we get to, but when, there's something we know for sure, that, we, that the Bible is God's word. And in it is no contradiction. And so we have, to, we have to look at any verse that seems problematic through the lens of all the rest of Scripture um, and see how we can understand it in a way that is not contradictory. Also understand that this may have been clearer in Greek 
or Hebrew or whatever language it was written in, it may have been a little bit clearer, but um, <clears throat> such are the limitations of English. And all the Spanish speakers in the room said, amen. <laughs> um, I've got, I, I kind of drew up a list here of like the, 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 the fruits of being part of one family or the other. Um, all, all of our, our scripture reading, I try, to, I try to tie our scripture reading together. And um, anyway, Matthew chapter 3, we're going to go and, and look at here in a minute. But Matthew chapter 3, uh, I feel like really illustrates this point. Because you have, you have John, the, John the baptizer calling out the Pharisees who claim to be children of God, but are in fact quite the opposite. And he makes a point that the fruit in their lives makes it clear which family they're a part of. He talks about, oh, we're sons of Abraham. He goes, God can raise up, he can raise up sons of Abraham from rocks if he wants to. That doesn't mean anything. Children of the the devil, uh, here's some things in this passage that describe um, that family. Uh, They make a practice of sinning. They practice lawlessness. Keep on sinning. Does not know God. And does not love his brother. And children of God practice righteousness. Do not make a practice of sinning and love their brother. Love one another. Now, how can we... How can we understand this in a, in a biblical way that is, that is clear? And I, and I want to focus in on this phrase, makes a practice of. Um, I am not a Greek scholar. Let's be real clear. Um, the seminary track I'm going to take does not include um, <laughs> Hebrew and Greek. Did you take Hebrew and Greek? Whew. That's rough. That's rough. Um, so I get to I get to read people that um, do that for a living. There's there's some Greek stuff we're not going to get into because I don't know well enough to explain it. But basically, like the tense that's there, it's not someone. If somebody ever sins, then you're in this category. It's it's a again. This is why you know, it talks in this Galatians passage about when the fullness of time had come. That's when Jesus came. Now, God knows why the timing was perfect, but we can see it. We can see a lot of things that certainly are evidence of really good um, timing. One of them being most of the civilized world at that time spoke Greek, and Greek is a very specific language, a perfect language for the scripture to be originally written in. We have a word for love. It's love, and that's it. What do you mean by that? Well, that could mean a lot of different things. Greek has like at least three uh, words for love. And if you expand it out to, you know, things that you like, it's even more than that. Anyway, all that to say, it's very, it's, it's, if you were reading this in Greek, it's very clear that what he's talking about is, is sin that you have grown comfortable with, sin that you make a habit of, lifestyle sin, sin that you, you know is wrong, but you're okay with it. I feel like I should switch the pronoun to we and just include myself in this. Because this is, this is where we really fall into the trap is, you know, it's one thing to get tripped up 
and to find ourselves in a place we didn't, you know, doing something, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that, you know, that kind of thing. That's a whole different thing than, yeah, I do this, and I know that, like, God's not cool with it, but whatever. I mean, after all, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if I just confess it, he'll forgive me, so I don't need to worry about it, right? This, this is why John wrote this book. John is writing this book to a, to a, a, you know, I mean, this wasn't written to a specific church. This was written, like, to be passed around to different churches. It was like, read this, make a copy of it, pass it on to the church in the next town over. Something that John was seeing in the church at large all over was um, Christians taking, taking the attitude that, like, well, God forgave me my sin, and he'll keep forgiving me. So now we can do whatever we want. And it was this attitude that like sin doesn't matter anymore because Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins. So like I don't even need to worry about it. And he says, whoa, hold the phone. That's that's not what we're talking about like at all. And he makes the point that he's basically I'm paraphrasing majorly here. um, But like he's basically saying, I don't I don't really care if you it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or not, you need to take a hard look at your life and ask yourself some hard questions. Like, do I have sin in my life that I know about and I'm totally okay with it and it doesn't even bother me? Because an unrepentant spirit is a a clear evidence of an unregenerated heart. Okay, what, what do I mean by that? Well, when, when someone is truly saved, what is something that we know happens? Last, I'm coming to you, because you'll probably get the right answer. But if not, we'll make fun of you. All right, he didn't get the... All right, yeah, it changed, but why? David? Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Come on, come on, Laz. I didn't go to seminary. Yeah, yeah he didn't even go to seminary. <laughs> the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and we know that this, we know that this is this is what happens in the life of the believer at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us, and that does something to us. We, we, we're reading about this here at the beginning. You know, we we will we we will in verse two, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The closer we get to God the closer God gets to us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as, as our intimacy with God gets closer and closer, we change. Some of this is through act of will. Some of this, and, and that's what, what John is speaking to, the, the act of, hey, listen, God adopted you into his family. Let's act like we're part of his family. That's actually literally my main point. Whose family are you in? If you're in God's family, act like it. That's the, if you're taking notes, those are all the notes. That's it. Um, some of the change that happens in our life in our life is through act of will. Some of it is like 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 John is talking about. Identify sin in our lives. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, get spend time um, in God's Word and spend time with God's people. Spend time growing closer to God and he will show you 
he will show, uh, I keep saying you like I'm preaching at you, like maybe we should just put a mirror in the front row. So I'm talking to you. Oh, that's me. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, interaction with God's people, these are all things that will show us more areas that we need to, in some ways through act of will, do the hard work to, to bring our, our flesh into submission to the Spirit and act like children of God. Like John the Baptizer said in this passage, lay the axe to the root of the tree. I love that imagery. We, we see here in Florida all the time because like the greening disease that the orange trees, the orange groves get, like if you ever drive like down towards Sebring or like, you know, outside of Lakeland and you get, through, get in the orange groves, sometimes you see it's just like a clear field and a pile of like dead trees and sometimes they're burning it. If you ever see like the pillars of smoke and you're like, whoa, I wonder what church is on fire, you know, whatever. Like it's, okay, that's too soon. Sorry. I didn't mean that as a joke. Um, you know, like you, want, you wonder what's on fire, and it's like actually it's probably a stack of orange trees. But like that's a, such a powerful imagery of like ripping out something that is diseased, that needs to be destroyed. I mean, he, he says it right, right now. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That is literally like before moving to Florida, that was not a clear imagery to me. Like that is so clear. They don't leave the diseased trees up. It's a waste of water. It's a waste of land. There's no use for them. Some of the change that happens in our lives when we become children of God happens through active will. And some of the change happens just by nature of our proximity to God through his spirit, with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Well, what do I mean by that? What I'm saying is there's some change that happens, some amount of change that happens in the true believer's life kind of automatically. Because the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in our lives, we, like that tension is too much. And immediately we're like, oh, I got to quit doing that. Or, or maybe you don't even notice, oh, I got to quit doing that. Maybe it's just, hey, something's different about you. Yeah, I guess it is. I kind of quit cussing as much as I used to or, you know, whatever. You know, there, there, there are some things that, that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us. Like, that's a, that's a big thing. We see throughout Scripture a powerful, this is a, this is a, this is a difficult thing. But we see throughout Scripture that a faith that hasn't... Oh, this is one of my favorite things to say. If Ethan were here, he'd be laughing. Because I used to say this in youth group when he was in my youth group. And I still say it. This is, I love to say this. A faith that hasn't changed you probably hasn't saved you. So in other words, if you raised your hand or went down and you know, walked the aisle, you know, went to an altar, you know, some some church service or campfire, you know, at a, at, a, at a summer camp or whatever, and you, um, you prayed a prayer, or somebody, or better yet, um, somebody in your family tells you that you prayed a prayer when you were like four years old and you didn't even remember it, but like, but your life doesn't look any different from an unbeliever. We need to take a hard look at that. 
And, and, and here's why I'm not going as far as to say, you're not saved. Because that's not my job. My job is not to look at everybody's life and say, well, I don't think you're a Christian. Okay, you're probably a Christian. Yeah, I don't think you're a Christian. I mean, how, how, many of you, how many of us know somebody who we were like, sure, like that person, that person is like hardcore Christian. And, and then they walked so far away from the Lord, you thought, man, maybe they weren't. That's another, that's another thing we see in Scripture. You know, some were among us, and we thought they were of us, but then they went out from us, and it was clear that they never were. Here's, a, here's what I love about our mission as Christians. It's not our job. It's not our job to figure out who's saved and who's not saved. You know what it is our job? It is our job to faithfully share the gospel with everyone. Because the, the, the person who is lost and uh, in the orphanage of children of the devil waiting to be adopted, let's think of it that way, or as our coaches and assists like to say, pre-Christian. Somebody who is lost I kind of forgot where I was going with that. Sorry. Um, well, first of all, somebody who's lost has no reason to act like a Christian unless they're in a situation where there's something to be gained by it. Um, oh, yeah, I remember where I was going. Got it. The train is back on the tracks. Um, somebody who is lost needs to hear the gospel because how will they, how will they know the way to salvation? How will they feel this whole, the Holy Spirit calling them if someone does not share the gospel with them. It's not enough to live, live around people and like be Jesus to them. Sorry, I don't really love that one. Um, we should do that. We should certainly have a good testimony so that, that people, um, people get a sense that like, wow, these people are different and like they don't you know, hate life and each other. Um, but that's not, enough. that's not enough for them to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. We've got to share the gospel with unbelievers. We've got to share the gospel with believers. Do you realize that like, it is very important for all of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, to be exposed to the preaching of the gospel, to be reminded of the work that God has done to save us, if you've ever spent a long period of time in a, in a church that didn't regularly preach the gospel, one of the things that you can find is, well, you know the verse that says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, right? Um, you can find Christians with big heads. All right, that sounds real judgy um, to say, but but when we are not regularly exposed to the gospel, we're not constantly reminded, hey, you remember, we're not better than anybody else. God didn't save you because you were pretty good. God saved you because he chose to save you for his glory. And you were just, you and I, just as undeserving of his forgiveness as the person down the street, the person on the corner, anybody else. It's important for all of us to be exposed to the regular teaching of the gospel, and we need to, we ought to regularly be sharing the gospel. The gospel that we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory, we, we could never be 
good enough. We could never earn, like, like, you know, like it seems to, like we, we can't practice enough righteousness to become righteous because we're all stained by sin, all of us. Jesus comes, born of a woman, but not through the, um, as, as Scripture says, not through uh, the, the, the seed of man. In other words, if you, think, if you think of it biologically this way, our sin nature is passed, like it says in, in the Scripture, from Adam, the father, passes to all his children his sin nature. And Jesus is the only one born. That's why the virgin birth was so important. Jesus didn't get a sin nature because he didn't have an earthly father. He didn't have a human father that had a sin nature. You get it? See how that connects? It's, it's kind of cool when you think of it. Jesus came, lived a sinless life that we could not, and then took the wrath of God, not just the wrath of Rome on the cross, the wrath of God against all of our sin to take our place so that he could offer us forgiveness for our sins. See, forgiveness, I'm, I'm spending time here on purpose to be really clear, forgiveness of sins does not happen because God is just so loving that he's like, if we ask him to forgive our sins, he's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. That's not how God forgives our sins. God is only, God, see, because here's the thing. God is, God is love. God is merciful. God is righteous. God is holy. And God is perfectly just. And if God allows sin, which we, we, we read here in verse, verse 4, 1 first, first John chapter 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's law. If God allows us to break his law and allows that sin to go unpunished, is he just? I will submit that uh, no, he would not be just. If he were to allow sin to go unpunished, that is not justice. And, and think of it this way. Don't think of it in terms of your sin. Think of it in terms of like the person that sinned against you that really hurt you. Somebody, somebody when you were growing up as a kid, somebody in a church you used to go to, somebody that you used to work with, whatever, somebody who sinned against you, wronged you, and hurt you deeply. If that person escapes justice. Do you feel like justice was served? If that sin goes unpunished, do you feel like there was justice? Oh, of course not. We want mercy when it's us, but we want justice when it's against us. Okay? God is perfectly just. Here's how he can forgive our sins and still be just. He did punish our sins. He punished Jesus for our sins. That's what it means. That's what it means in this passage where, where he says that he died for us. See what kind of love the... Oh, wait, hold on, wrong passage. Mm, sorry. Uh, by this we know... Oh, man. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't underline it. Anyway, he says it right in here. That, uh, you know, that, that Jesus, Jesus died for our sins. Here it is. I was looking right at it. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus submitted himself, his perfect self, to 
the wrath of God for the sin of the world. And God punished him for that sin. All sin must be punished. And so at the end of the day, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that means is that forgiveness is available to us because God has punished our sin. But here's the reality. I have to ask for it. Like, if you ever, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, like, you ever gotten something in the mail that said, like, um, there was a data breach or something, and you, you can be, you were caught up in it, and you can be part of a class action lawsuit. You're entitled to this money or whatever. I got one of these recently. Um, I can't wait to see how, my, how many dollars and cents I get. Um, I'm betting it's less than five. But it's like, you can either take identity theft protection or get a payout. Um, if you've ever gotten one of those, this is a great example because unless you fill the thing out or like go online and put your information in, that class action lawsuit is going to happen. There's going to be a payout and people are going to get money and you're not going to be one of them. You have to, like, they know that you were in it, but if you don't like sign up to get a payout, you're not getting a payout. Tracking with me? Similarly, forgiveness is available to you because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not applied to your account unless we confess our sin and ask God to forgive our sin. God can forgive our sin because of what Jesus did, but, but if we haven't asked, how can he? All sin has to be punished. This whole, the whole last section of this chapter from verse 11 on is, is, is basically what it looks like, uh, like more detail about what it looks like to be children of God. And he kind of adds this, this example with Cain. Cain, obviously not. Uh, he didn't love his brother. How do we know that? Well, he murdered his brother. So uh, we know for sure that. So children of God love one another. What's that mean? Well, as a family, we ought to be able to, oh, I don't know, get along, sort of. You know, someone ought, someone ought, to, ought to be able to, to, to come in here and see us interacting with each other and realize, hey, these people are from all different walks of life and different, different nationalities, different backgrounds, different you know, parts of the country, parts of the world. And yet, they probably don't even all vote the same. And yet, they get along. Now, on Facebook, you can't. Um, but Facebook isn't, you know, like the family of God. The church is. And it matters. It matters that we have peace, that we love one another. Now, part of loving one another is, like, um, you actually have any desire to be around one another. You ever, like, do you have a family member that, like, doesn't want anything to do with the rest of the family? Okay. Um, I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to go as far as say that person wants you all dead. But um, there's definitely a lack of love there when you don't want to spend any time with the other person. And Scripture makes very clear one of the things, if you are, if you are children of God, 
You ought to want to like come to family dinners and stuff. You ought to want to spend time with the rest of your family. You ought to have a desire. Even even a little further, he says, you know, anyone who doesn't, anyone who has the world's goods and does not help his brother. Think of the the Good Samaritan parable. Yeah, right, right here. We we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Okay. Chapter chapter three, verse eleven on is not the things to do to be saved. Like do these things so you'll be children of God. No, these are things that you ought to want to do. And if you don't have a desire to do these things, if you don't have a desire to you know be around God's people, you don't have a desire to um, you know, take an axe to the root of the tree and carve, carve out of your life sin that you know about, sin that you're, you've grown comfortable with, sin that is a habit and a pattern in your life. If, you're not, if you have no desire to cut those things out of your life, then, then let's take a, hard, take a hard look. Have you confessed your sin? Let me be really clear. And he says that in verse 1, back to the Greek. Okay, again, not a Greek scholar, but um, I've learned from enough Greek scholars that the word confess doesn't mean this idea that you tell God what you did. Okay, well, uh, I want to break some new ground here. God already knows what you did. It doesn't do anything to tell God what you did. Confess is, it comes from a Greek word that means to say the same thing, to agree with. It means that I look at the sin in my life and I finally agree with God that it is sinful and not okay. That, that I look at my own sin and I say, yeah, no, that's, I got to quit doing that. That's what it means if we confess our sins. If we, if we recognize the sinfulness of our sin then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Have you done that? Have you done that? I got to land the plane here, and I I don't feel like we're crash landing, but the biggest thing I want us to take away from this is ask ourselves the hard question, whose family are you in? Have you been adopted into God's family yet? by the forgiveness of your sins, or are you still in the orphanage, children of the devil, like it says here? How do we answer that question? Take I can't answer it for you. It's not my job to answer that question for someone else. It is my job to look at my own life and say, it, it, it's okay. Like maybe you grew up in a church that taught you, like, you should never question, don't, don't ever question your salvation, okay? Um, yes, we believe that when God saves someone, you don't, like, get unsaved, and then you got to get saved again, and then you might get unsaved, and then you get saved again. Um, there's churches that teach that, and this isn't one of them. But it is a worthwhile question to ask, am I truly saved? Did I, have I actually confessed my sin, or am I comfortable with it? Because if I'm comfortable with my sin, I have not agreed with God about the sinfulness of my sin. And do I love my brother or sister?
My kids only have sisters because I have no son. <laughs> Whose family are you in? And here's, and here's the other takeaway. If you come back from the answer to that question, uh, I don't think I'm in God's family. Let's talk because um, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to make it clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you can come to the Father through him. And if you come back from the answer to that question, yes, I am in God's family, then act like it. That was my whole point. I already told you that was my point earlier. That's the whole notes. Whose family are you in? If you're in God's family, act like it. What's that look like? All right, I'm seven and a half minutes over, so I can't spend a lot of time on this, but like, what, what, are, what, what does that look like in my life? Well, um, you know, do, do, I, like, do I have any desire to be around God's people? Okay, you should, you should be a committed member of a local church that's actually in your community. You should, um, like it says in here, if you, anyone has the world's good and see his, sees his brother in need, you, you, ought to, you ought to support the work of God. Okay, that sounds like I'm saying everyone give all your money to the church. Oh, that'd be great. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes like, well, I know my neighbor needs help with this, but I gave a church. Church can help him. Maybe we need to like actually, you know, help our neighbor, help our brother. Do you talk about God at all? We ought to be, if we have been Saved. If we have been given so great a salvation, ought we not share that? Oughtn't, oughtn't we? Shouldn't, shouldn't we share that? Shouldn't we share that with people? Aren't you excited about that? If you're not excited about that, then, you know, again, let's talk. But um, if you're part of God's family, we ought to be sharing that with others and tell them how they can be part of it too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this letter. Thank you for this teaching from the Apostle John. It's okay to ask that question. It's not just okay. We ought to ask that question. Am I in God's family? Or do I just wish I was? Do I want the things God wants for my life? Oh, God. We're so broken or fallen. Like John writes here, we, we are not yet what we will be. Oh, praise God for that, that the best is yet to come. This is not as good as it gets. You will come and restore all things. God, we love you. Help us to love one another better all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.